Hello and welcome to the GLT podcast series with the Greenshaw Learning Trust and Friends Book Club, where we talk all things teaching and learning with leading educationalists across the world. My name is Rhiannon Rainbow. And my name is Dave Tushingham. This is a place to enjoy listening to organic conversations between teachers and authors, a journey in bringing the latest evidence-based literature into the classroom. Hello and welcome everybody to our latest GLT and Friends book club session. So this is uh, an additional session of the Edu Book Club and we have gone global. So we are absolutely thrilled to be joined by Daniel Allen, who's General Director at Lincoln School in Costa Rica, hence global, uh, author of the instruction uh, the Instructional Leadership Cycle, which is what we'll be talking about this afternoon. And he has done so many incredible things. So we're hugely thrilled. I mean, just looking through the, the list of things on your LinkedIn account, Daniel, is just fantastic. So it's brilliant to be able to bring an additional perspective into what we're doing into education, but also what we're doing into the UK. So thank you so much. I'm not quite sure what time it is for where you're joining us from where you are, but we're we're at just after 4.30 in the afternoon. What time is it for you? Ten thirty in the morning. So and thank you so much for having me today. No, it's brilliant. So thank you so much for joining us. Dave, I'm going to hand over to you um, so we can talk about the what, the why and the how this fits into our thread of conversations and then we'll get into dis into the discussion. So thank you so much, everybody. This is going to be incredible. Thank you very much, Rhea. And thank you, uh, Daniel, for joining us. We're really, really excited to, to be able to discuss this book today. Um, it felt like it it really resonated with um, with what what I do as a classroom teacher um, day to day, and it had lots of um, similarities in, in the approach I take in terms of improving my day-to-day -day practice. But to put that into um, a leadership um, perspective as well has really helped me to understand what I can do, not just for my students, but with my staff as well, um, and um, or, or our staff, I should say, as well. Um, and, and you talk about um, sort of at the beginning of the book about what is um, what is a social justice school and, and um, what it means to be a, um, an equity-minded leader and, and the idea of, of needing to be critically self-aware of, of having a curriculum that's culturally responsive um, to make sure that um, the staff policies are inclusive and, and that you prioritise your community need um, when you're, you're thinking about um, what your uh, setting might look like was something that really resonated with recent sessions we've had with Amanda Wilson um, and Aisha Thomas as well. And, and so it's something we felt we could really build upon there um, when we were reading. Um, but, but you talk about the instructional leadership cycle as being a series of tools and and uh, and and just helping um, sort of to to guide the senior leadership team um, through maybe um, sort of the, the technical practicalities that they might need um, as well. And and having that um, by your side is incredibly important. Um, knowing specifically what you can do because uh, when reading the forward. Um, uh, and Lee writes um, very, very well um, about the book and talks about developing consistent processes for improvement uh, and some of the barriers to that, like lacking experience or, or just the muscle mess uh, memory, rather, um, of, of the practical tools you might use. So having that by your side, I think, is an incredibly important and powerful tool to have. Um, the, the, the book um, feels feels like it's really relatable because you can see the story, you can see the, the journey that you've gone through um, and, and the way it's structured when you start with um, summer, summer is when the magic happens, you say, um, where you might take stock and, and gain that feedback in a 360 degree uh, form and, and to set your, your key performance indicators. 
um, and then then going on to the launch where where you need to be authentic, you need to celebrate um, what you've what you've achieved so far, but then push forward and 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 to do that with clarity, how important that is when you particularly when you set up your key performance indicators. What I took away from that. Um, and, and then the CPD that you can um, engage in your professional learning communities and then the formal CPD that you might undertake or for us and in, in this session, the informal CPD as well as you create that roadmap um, and then and then just the, the sort of nuts and bolts of it, the, the instructional observation you might go through, the learning walks and, and then how you set your vision and how you go again. Um, so I thought that, that it just... Um, it just really sort of um, made me think a lot about what we do day to day and, and how we can improve um, over time rather than just um, having a session for a week and then uh, and then what we're going to learn next. Um, it really did set that um, that that cycle is a really important word in that. Um, and uh, and then at the end of the book, you have um, sort of just just little piece of, of advice that sort of that brings it all together, uh, making your meetings count, the hard conversations, focusing on your car uh, calendar and how you prioritise. Uh, how you build teacher leader capacity as well so that the things that, that are um, suggested um, can can tangibly be done um, and done to a good quality as well so pulling it all together then um, the book was just one where I thought wow yeah I feel ready um, to, to sort of understand better what my leaders are doing for me and my school and I'm sure we'll be talking in the leadership sense about um, some of the ideas as well in a little bit more detail about what we do. But Daniel, just a massive thank you for writing it, first of all, um, and uh, just really, really looking forward to getting stuck into to some of that in, in more detail. So I didn't know if there's anything you wanted to sort of share, because it's about you talking, I've talked plenty now, um, and uh, and it's about hearing from the real expert. Hey, well, I, I appreciate a fantastic summary. I think you you did a better job summarizing it than, than I could. Um, no, I think the, I mean, for me, the real foundation is and, and is that obviously the book offers a lot of practi practical tools for the practicing uh, school leader, and there's a lot of different things that you can apply. But I think even more foundational than any specific tool, any specific practice, is, is that sense of connection around why we're doing the work that we do and having clarity, clarity around that. I, I think that uh, to some degree, you know, we're witnessing more more broadly in, in society kind of a, a crisis of meaning. Uh, people kind of trying to take stock of where they're at in their own personal lives and, and what am I about and what I want to do with my life and what does that look like? And I think that the same can certainly be said of, of a school leader or a, a classroom teacher is is really starting from that that very strong point of, you know, getting clarity around why am I doing the work that I'm doing? Um, what is it that brings me to a school each morning? Uh, and and what is the what is the the nature of the work that we do collectively as as professional educators that 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 I find so compelling, and and always staying connected to that because the ability to persevere to apply all the different tools um, and to do the work on a day to day basis and then a year to year basis it really is is driven by that foundational piece of of why we find ourselves there in the first place, and interestingly from a from a leadership perspective. Um, the people that we work with, the people that we serve, the people that we lead, they want to know why we do the work that, that we do. They want to understand uh, the, the motivation and the desires that we have. Um, and, and really that speaks a lot to our credibility on a school campus in, in terms of our ability to do the work. Uh, people want to know, you know why we feel so passionately about helping kids become the, their best selves. Uh, why do we feel so passionately about the role of leading adults? Um, understanding, like, why would anyone ever leave the classroom to lead a school? Like, what is that about? 
uh, and and really being able to articulate those those reasons uh, and being able to 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 use that to 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 strengthen uh, and 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 to support you as you go forward. And then of course are all the different tools that 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 you think about. And I think that the the big piece for me is is really as a leader having clarity about your framework for how are how how are we going to work together to move this school forward and then all the different tools and all the different pieces you're applying to align to that vision that shared vision uh, that you've developed over time with with your team and like you mentioned uh, you know connecting with uh, teacher leaders you know classroom teachers uh, helping to elevate and amplify their voice in terms of the instructional leaders on campus um, and, and, and doing that work. And how do you do that as a leader? How do you work as a partner with the professional staff that are there um, to, to move the school forward? So I think, I think you named you know, all, all the things that the book uh, aspires to, to address, but I think you start with that foundational piece and connected to that foundational piece is, is that real commitment to equity, um, that real commitment uh, to making sure that uh, that our schools are doing right by every student who's there, and creating joyful joyful classrooms of learning for for all of our students, and inclusive spaces uh, for our kids. And so that's the that's the 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 work that inspires me every day. Um, and as Lee talks about it a little bit in the forward to the book, like for me, I I love doing the work. And then I also love thinking about the work and sharing the work and writing about what that looks like. And it, it, it really is, a, uh, it, it really is a passion of mine to be able to not only come to a school every day, but also take a little bit of time to, to write about it and to share that with others. Sounds amazing. Um, and, and it's, uh, it's just made me reflect on sort of how, how I've taught there that I, I think with the introduction, if I was to do it again, I'd talk a little bit more about the meaning behind why, because because that's what sets it all up. As I'm listening to you there, the tool come the tools come afterwards, but we don't want to to take on the tools because we think, oh, they they look like good tools to use. We want to think about uh, what we're really trying to achieve, and then everything sort of comes around. And and the key performance indicators, I guess, if you've got clarity about what you're trying to achieve, then you're more likely to to arrive at the the right key performance indicators that you might use, and the um, and you might uh, arrive at the right uh, CPD that you the, the professional development um, opportunities. You might select the right ones to to further yourself and to be able to to really achieve the goal that you're trying to achieve. Absolutely. No, I think that, and, and that really speaks to, to the, the activities uh, kind of digging right into the instructional leadership cycle itself. You know, when you, when you launch into a school year, when you welcome teachers back onto campus and then students back onto campus, one of the beautiful things about a school is, is the cyclical nature of it, um, that, that you get to watch as, as students, you know, year after year, they come back uh, and they're 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 the same person, but they're a new person. You know, they're they're moving forward into the future. Your teachers, when they come back onto campus, and 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 that enthusiasm, you know, to move forward, and 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 what is it going to look like, you know, this year, and all those different things. And I think that as a as a school leader, part of your job is to is to capture the excitement, um, and to really kind of codify that excitement into the into the vision. Um, I talk uh, quite a bit about the, 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 the leadership summit, the principal summit, kind of this, this vision speech that, that you give at the beginning of the year, which is really designed to give people a, a, a chance to, to sense what, what direction are we moving in? Uh, what does this look like? And I think that also speaks to this 
to this crisis of meaning in people's personal lives and people's professional lives. And so I think that as a leader, the more that you're connecting people to that shared purpose uh, around the work that we're doing together, I think the more that you uh, you engage their whole person in, in coming to work and, and, and doing the work with, with young people. And, uh, and so I think that I, part of the reason I spend so much time talking about that initial vision speech is I feel like it's, it's an area where uh, it doesn't have to be perfect, but we need to invest to get it right. We, we need to make sure that we've, we've given the adequate time and attention to, to designing an experience that is, gonna, that is going to engage staff on, 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 on both an intellectual and an emotional level. Um, because the work that we do is hard. Uh, and it's and it's and it's something that we need to tap into kind of that human spirit to to marshal, you know, all the force that we can uh, to bring our best selves each day, uh, each day to the to the work that we're doing. Um, and so the, the instructional leadership cycle itself is is designed to uh, give school leaders a set of tools uh, to help them really, really embed that vision into the annual operation of the school and and that's something that that i think uh we we need to take the time to really think about our framework for improving the school and it starts with that vision it starts with that clarity about what we're about and uh and then you know once we have that vision in mind once we've kind of painted the picture of where we want to go then you also have to share the map of how we're going to get there um and uh you know, one of one of the the quotes that I often use came from Dr. Richard Elmore, uh, who was a professor at Harvard, uh, the Harvard uh, Graduate School of Education, and and he would often say, you know, for every additional unit of of capacity that you're going to ask of from your staff, you have to have a corresponding unit of investment in their professional learning, uh, and and so being thoughtful about that professional learning map. Uh, that really says these are the things that we're going to need to invest in in terms of the professional learning of our staff to take us from where we are now to where we want to be. And that, that mapping not only you know, requires us to kind of outline what are the actual resources that we're going to be drawing on, but we, we need time. And, and the longer I'm in schools, the more I'm convinced that this, the, the, the resource of time is, is, is probably the primary um, limiting factor in terms of what we can achieve as a school community. Um, you know, full-time classroom teachers, they're with kids all day. Uh, often they might have, you know, 45 minutes, 60 minutes maybe to, to plan uh, a full day worth of lessons, to, to grade and to give feedback, to have parent interactions and communications. It, it really is a tremendous amount that we ask of our classroom teachers uh, in terms of their professional planning uh, and their professional development. And so I think one of the ways that a school leader works in partnership with their, with their professional teaching staff is, is looking for and finding ways to, to structure time so that you have uh, the, the adequate time for professional learning necessary uh, to move from your current state to, to, the, to where you want to be. And it's not just about it being the time, is it either? It's about it, it being quality time and then knowing it's planned in advance. And I really like even just the subtlety of it's not a it's not a calendar, it's a cycle so that you know it's going to keep going and it's going to develop and it's going to keep improving so that even just that subtle use of language actually 
sends a really important message. Um, and if, if we come to time at the moment, uh, maths is, is, is one of the subjects in the UK at the moment that has a bit of a shortage of staffing. So, uh, you know, yeah. as my, a, a number of teachers are now feeling it at the moment that our time is is really precious because we don't have much of it. So when we have it allocated to something else, understanding the why behind the, its purpose, why we're there, how it fits into the bigger picture, because although the leaders may know what that is, if they haven't shared that, it's harder to get that buy-in from everybody and to, to understand the journey that they're going on together. And I just think that it's it's just, it was interesting you mentioning there as well about the sort of the equity and the equitable experience of it because we there are conversations happening at the moment around um our students being able to have an equitable experience in schools means that our staff need to have maybe an equitable experience with regards to their cpd and how they're being developed and not the quality and the time they're being given to be able to do that. So there are so many conversations around this at the moment, because I suppose, as, as you were talking and describing there, so much about the leader anymore, it's about the whole team and how they're going to get there together. Absolutely. No, I think that, that you know, we, we talk increasingly, uh, increasingly about teachers as designers of learning experiences for young people, right? That we're, we're, we're design architects, that our, our pedagogy is, is, is a process that we go through to ensure student learning. And, and we, we expect as school leaders, as, as communities, as parents, we expect that teachers do that type of, of, of professional work, right? That they're designing powerful learning experiences for our kids. Well, the same set of expectations has to lie on school leaders. We, we are designers of professional learning experiences for our staff. And if we don't have clarity around what that instructional vision is, uh, if we don't give the adequate time necessary to, to, to develop that, uh, that practice, uh, then, then we're kind of falling into the same trap that can happen to, to, to any classroom teacher uh, who's pressed for time and who's, who's under a lot of requirements where we need to really be thoughtful about how we design learning experiences for adults in school. And I think that's partially where the, where the cycle components come, come into play, where the, the idea of a cycle uh, is that, that we are committed to continual learning on this campus. And I think most, most school mission statements these days say something about lifelong learning and how we're committed to, to ongoing learning. Um, but I think sometimes we forget, and maybe we forget because we're so close to it as educators. Um, learning implies doing something, skills, conceptual understanding that we don't yet possess, right? That's kind of the definition of learning is moving from a, 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 our current stage to, a, to a, a different place where we've acquired additional understanding and skills. And leaning into things that we don't currently possess, that's uncomfortable. That's not, that's not easy. Uh, maybe we take it for granted because we work with young people where it's just kind of, it's just kind of supposed that you know, students come to school with, a, with an open mind understanding that they have a lot of things to learn. Uh, but the definition of learning is moving from our current state of practices and understanding to a, to a different place. And that, that can be uncomfortable at times. 
And I think that creating a culture on a school campus where everyone understands we are here collectively to learn. That's what professionally, professional learning is by, by definition. Um, and, and I think that that can be really tricky at times to, to develop that culture. Um, the way that I describe it sometimes is that, you know, when you're, when you're in a relationship, a, a romantic relationship, for example, with someone, like you, you are always trying to express and validate their value of, the, of that partner, even if there are things, subtle things that could be better about the relationship. And so when we're in kind of natural personal relationships with people, we're always kind of navigating that, um, that relationship where it's, I need you, I want you to, to know how much I care for you, how valuable you are to me, how much I value, uh, you know, who you are and what you, what you do in, in, in our life together. But at the same time, how do you also communicate those things that, that, that need to be improved, you know? how do you have a conversation about how you're meeting each other's needs how and 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 that kind of piece and i feel like in schools it, it can be very similar where we have classroom teachers who are giving their lives to young people uh and who are giving everything that they have to the young people in their classroom how do i as a school leader acknowledge that how do i validate that how do I help that teacher to know that like, I genuinely appreciate this effort that you make every day? And then how do I also communicate, and we've gotta be better. We've gotta to continue, to, to continue to learn and to improve, and we need to lean into things that, that, that maybe we're not, we're not as strong at as we could be. Um, and also uh, the awareness of what those things that could be improved, improved are, they don't all need to come from me as the, as the school leader. In fact, it's even better when it's coming from professional colleagues. We're saying, you know, we want to get better at, at, at uh, asking meaningful questions in the classroom. We want to get better at, at formative assessment techniques in the classroom. Uh, these are the things that we as a professional community are interested in developing. And so that's where the school leader, uh, it's the instructional leadership cycle is really kind of reconceptualizing the school leader, not as the person driving all of the improvement through like accountability mechanisms. It's saying, here at this school, we have this incredible uh, core of professional staff. They bring an incredible amount of skills to the table, of knowledge, of experience, all those different things. How do I elevate from this team of teachers the shared practices that we're committed to as a school? How do I elevate and celebrate the, the, the exceptional practices that are already here? How do I help how do I help bring awareness to those areas that we're not satisfied with? Even though we're deeply satisfied with the, the members of the community here, we, we still have ambitions to continue to grow and to strengthen our instructional practice. And so really the, the school leader is kind of a, a partner uh, in, in, in doing that work with the, with the staff on campus. And the cycle concept is to say, here's a framework, here are a set of tools to help us do that. Okay, as a, as, a, as a school, we've said, these are the things that are important to us this year in terms of our instruction. Uh, we wanna focus on, on higher level questioning techniques. We wanna focus on um, more academic discourse in the school. Uh, not because the principal said, this is what you're going to do, but because as a professional community, this is something that matters to us. Okay, we get some learning in professional development, 
we're introduced to some new ideas. And then we as a teacher team, we're going to go out and try some stuff. We're going to practice some stuff. We're going to watch each other practice some stuff. We're going to we're going to give feedback. We're going to reflect on what we're seeing. We're going to look at how it has an impact on the student work. We're going to implement protocols into into student work analysis and, and see what the impact that this is having. And and then you're going to you're going to sit down with that same group of teachers and, and say, what did we learn? What does this look like? And that's really where the cycle concept comes up, comes from. And you just do it over and over again. What matters to us? What are we trying to improve? Let's learn some things. Let's do some stuff. Let's try some things. And then let's reflect back to each other. But in order to have that type of a professional culture on campus, there's a few really critical components that you have to build. One is obviously the structure for it. And, but also you have to build a culture where teachers feel comfortable and feel safe observing each other. They feel safe having people in their classroom observing what they're doing. There's open conversations about what we're doing in the classroom and what that looks like. And, and we're looking at student work together and we're uh, bringing hypotheses to the, to the table around why we think student work is moving in the direction that it's moving. And so it's really kind of trying to move away from this idea of each teacher as the expert practitioner in their classroom by themselves doing the best they can to really building a community around these cycles of improvement um, that we have collectively committed to as, as a school. And, and really as a school leader, trying to bring all of the resources, all of the time, everything that I can bring to bring attention and focus and alignment to those areas of improvement that we're, we're collectively committed to. Superb, thank you. Um, Ray, I'm gonna just say a couple of bits where it's resonated with me and then, and then just that, like your question, it would be great. Um, <clears throat> sorry to bust in, but I just, it made me, it made me think very much about um, the CPD curriculum, um, the book that we looked at with Zoe and Mark Enza, um, to actually put our professional development into a curriculum model, um, as, as you're talking then. And um, and it's um, and something that we do in our school is uh, we have a developmental drop-in, um, where every two weeks we will um, be, be visited. We don't call it in observation, we are visited. Um, and uh, and it's those subtleties that, that make it that culture that we feel very safe, uh, where, where the feedback is given in a way um, that there's three to five strengths that are talked about <clears throat> and then it's just one highest leverage action step that we work on there's no um, sort of formal accountability around any of that there's no sort of judgment or grading or anything like that we simply uh, look at that step then and think about well, what can we do to to make that improvement and it keeps it very specific it keeps it very clear very very precise on, on what we can work on and then two weeks later somebody will come and visit again and we visit other people too and we offer that feedback to them too um, and uh, and I think that that really sort of resonates in, in what you're saying there um, in terms of that cycle um, process as well. And uh, and in terms of finding the time then to do that uh, and how we balance that um, in our academy, we, we don't take books home to mark. Um, the feedback is done uh, formatively um, and we are able to, uh, to then sort of uh, respond uh, in that moment and give that live feedback so that the students can act on it there and then uh, rather than taking books home and it being two days later they get that feedback. So teacher workflows really looked after there's less meetings um for us as well and the meetings are, are really precise they can be done in an email um i really feel in our academy it would be um and and so we get that time back to be able to really think about our development um and uh, and and in terms of that positivity and that feel that sense of um safety you say but that sense of belonging and that togetherness as well as a, a staff body um one of my roles as a lead practitioner is that i go around visiting other classes that aren't in that two-weekly cycle um, and, and the, the responsibility I have is to, to um, contribute to a list of shout-outs. 
which on Friday will be celebrated with staff and awards will be given and and we we celebrate all the positive things that we see in our classrooms and um, and that alongside um, that the, the Friday uh, awards that we get and then it will be like chocolates to take away for one particular person that maybe has been nominated by another member of staff that's not necessarily in a lesson but um, but something that they've seen outside that they've just done something above and beyond and and that really does build that sort of sense that I think that you're talking about there and so as you were talking I just thought of more and more things that yes we're doing this we're doing this and it made so sort of really reassured me but it also sort of really um, sort of put emphasis on on how important I think all of that is as well and made it really specific and clear to me. Uh, yeah I think I, I think that that taking having those deliberate structured times to sit down as a community and to reflect on what you see unfolding in the work is absolutely critical. And, you know, I talked a little bit in, in terms of the instructional leadership cycle, you know, we launch with that vision. This is the improvement work that we are going to be doing this year. And this is the, these are the reasons why we're going to be doing that work. Here's some of the data that has influenced our decisions around this. Here's some of the stories of, of students and families and classroom experiences that have influenced our decisions to, to focus on these areas of improvement. And then we've developed this professional learning map, which says, you know, these are the resources and the investments that we need to make in order to address this, this shared kind of problem of practice that we have as a school, this shared area of focus. But then you need, you need those moments, those, I, I refer to them in the book as, as, as key performance indicator visits. Um, but it's really moments where you as a community, you sit down and you say, this is what we thought success might look like. This is what we thought progress would look like when we got three months into the school year. Here's where we are. What does that mean? And, and as opposed to like just a typical kind of like performance, uh, performance you know, check, it's literally to reflect around these things because there's, there's different ways you can look at it. It could be we're struggling to implement what we said we wanted to implement. Okay, that's that's possible and that happens. It could also be maybe maybe we need to adjust our approach. Uh, maybe we're not doing exactly the work that we thought we were doing or we need to make an adjustment in terms of that. So it's literally these moments where you're using the data, you're using the feedback from the system and the stakeholders in the in the in the school system to to really reflect and to to see where you're at and to make those adjustments as you launch into the next cycle. I mean, that's really all all, all these cycles are, you know, they're, they're, the, they're the, the, the study, do, act kind of cycles where you're just saying, hey, this is what we think needs to happen. We're going to try this. You gather some data around that and then you see how you did and then you make adjustments based on, on that sh short cycle. And I think too often in schools, we, we bring the, the improvement intervention at the beginning of the year fully convinced that the way we've already thought about it is the way that it needs to be done with the without even starting the, the the implementation like we learn so much as we go we have to make those adjustments and and i think that you know that speaks to 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 what you know for school leaders we would we would call our 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 efficacy bias you know many times uh, we we can fall in a trap as school leaders to to say that the problem the problem the school is having is the absence of my improvement idea, right? So the problem of practice is not rooted in actually what's happening in classrooms. It's, 
hey, I think we need to implement this program and we don't currently have it and that's the problem. And if we had it, then this problem would go away. Whereas I think we need to get much more curious around the problems and the professional challenges themselves. We need to sit with the problems of practice conceptually with our staff to really try to understand what's going on here. Um, as school leaders, kind of our currency is, is, is solutions. Um, but we can get caught in that, in that solutionitis where we're constantly each year, you know, all teachers are familiar with kind of that, that the flow and the churn of improvement agendas. Um, and really it's about slowing down and saying, hey, here's, here's what we think is the problem. Here's our solutions. Let's try some things. And you'll notice when I talk about it, I'm pretty loose about like, let's try some things. Um, I think that that's the nature of, of, of action research, you know, which is to say, hey, we have a, a capable group of professionals here. They've been trained professionally. They have quite a bit of an experience. Um, they're, 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 in most cases, relatively familiar with what research says about good teaching and learning. And so you can say, we have some, we have some intervention ideas that we want to apply to our instructional practice here on campus. And you try those things out, you gather some data, and then you make adjustments. And I think that the more that you can get in kind of that low stakes, um, mindset of continually trying to improve um, the, the, the better of a, an improvement culture that you're going to be able to develop on the, at the school site. Yeah, I, I must admit that so um, where I worked previously, um, our, we would have sort of three visits to our lessons a year and it was quite high stakes and it was it was given a graded judgment it would go towards the performance management cycle um but i never learned from it because it was just a performance rather than an opportunity for development and growth and then now i'm somewhere where it's more low stakes in the sense of it's more frequent it's shorter it's more of a professional conversation and dialogue over what happened and and, and ideas for what how it could improve and then a simple granular actionable step to be able to do it rather than somebody saying well it didn't make the hairs on the back of my neck stick up well what does that mean in education <laughs> missing my lesson. i had that feedback once i i kid you not i had that feedback that the reason it wasn't you know graded as as a top lesson because they were graded was was because it didn't make the hairs on the back of their neck stand up and what are you meant to do with that how are you meant to develop or improve and when somebody comes in and that's what happens three times a year so I really like the way, so I've experienced the changing culture from it being low stakes and developmental and, I, and, and how quickly you have that opportunity to grow and understand what you're doing and what others are doing. And I also really like the way that you were just um, reminding there of don't just implement something check in on it as well because all too often we'll implement a strategy or an idea and let it run its course and then get busy with everything else that's happening but if we're checking in more frequently than just what are we going to do next year because i understand it gets busy i i do i know just how busy it sure. is and how easy it is to just be purely reactive when it's when it's in in in, in the school day but if we're scheduling in that cycle then it means that we're going to think about in advance what will it look like if it's being successful 
how will we know if it's being successful rather than just the implementation of something new but actually being able to check in on it at the same time and have that data rather than what it what it feels like because if we just implement it without thinking of the systems to check on it, then that means next year we'll just implement something new and we'll just implement something new again without building on what's been successful or tweaking and adjusting what hasn't. And for some things, just completely ditching it because do you know what? That didn't work. We're not going to work with that one anymore. It's too much to do. So we're just going to do this instead. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, you raise a number of really interesting points that we could spend a lot of time talking about. I think one of them is that we grossly underestimate the level of investment uh, that is required to, to move the professional practice of a body of professional educators. And, and by that, uh, you know, I've seen professional development plans where you know, we're going to we're going to implement standards based grading in September and form new formative assessment practices in November. And uh, we're going to, you know, work on our checks for understanding in, in February. And, you know, Thursday, we're going to calibrate around the, the, the summit of assessments that we do. Just the 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 level of of ambition is in some some professional development plans is is you know, it's humorous. It's 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 almost like it's almost like tragic, you know, what, looking on paper at just the, the, the gross kind of misunderstanding of how adults learn. Whereas when you see an organization that really invests in the developmental practice of the adults on campus, you see different types of things where you see, uh, where you see teacher leaders coming out of the classroom to, to, to watch videos of each other together, uh, to sp spending time observing one another, having space for observation and reflection debriefs, you, you see groups of teachers engaging in instructional round sessions around a problem of practice where they're, they're having deep, sometimes difficult conversations about what are we seeing on campus with regards to this instructional practice that we care so much about. Uh, and then, and then as, a, as a team coming back together and saying, okay, now we're going we're gonna to make some adjustments. We're going to, we're going to be doing this. And, and to see how that requires time and how on, on a developmental scale, your, your teaching staff are also going to be in highly variable places in terms of their practice with regards to any particular instructional practice. You're gonna have some teachers who this is their bread and butter. You know, this is the instructional practice that they use every day. You're going to have others who never, who maybe never use that particular practice and they're really gonna need additional time and additional support. And so really thinking about, you know, the instructional leadership cycles about this robust uh, developmental framework for helping teachers and improve their practice and helping each other not only define what the shared practice is going to be, but then helping each other elevate their practice to meet that shared expectation. The data is really clear that in terms of school improvement, the, the shared expectations of staff is much more powerful on, on, on young people's learning outcomes than the accountability relationship with the school leader. Uh, and so you're really trying to kind of be an architect in creating that sh those shared expectations and having the teachers themselves not only clarify what those practices look like, but helping each other move towards that shared practice. I would say the other thing, you know, talking about uh, instructional observations, you know, I have a whole chapter in the book that you know, kind of talks about a, a variety of different approaches to uh, instructional observations. And I think part of the part of the point of that chapter is is 
to help school leaders get clarity about what they're doing and why. Uh, because different protocols for being in classrooms lead to different types of outcomes. You know, I spend time talking about Japanese lesson study and kind of this, this rich kind of deep uh, instructional professional culture around uh, designing a lesson, watching each other teach it, giving each other feedback around it, and then presenting your findings. Um, it's deeply professional. It requires a tremendous amount of vulnerability uh, to not only be willing to plan a lesson together, uh, but to be willing to let your colleagues come and watch and take detailed notes and then, you know, engage in a deep reflection around that. Um, you know, I was, I was in one of the largest school districts in the state of California and worked very closely with our teachers association in redesigning our evaluation program. And part of the purpose of that redesign was to give the teachers more ownership around uh, what they were trying to improve in their instruction. Uh, and so, you know, we moved from a, a kind of principal-driven or school leader-driven process to a teacher-driven process. There was still accountability, but it was the teacher saying, listen, this is an area of my practice that I've identified that I want to improve, and I'm going to set goals around that area, and, and then we're going to work. And, and in fact, we developed a system that allowed the teachers to work in collaborative teams. So it wasn't just an individual goal, but many of our teachers chose to have collective goals. Um, and it really became a, a learning laboratory where, you know, one teacher said, okay, I'm going to try this kind of riff on this practice. And another teacher said, I'm going to try this riff on this practice. And then we're going to bring our data together and see what impact it has. And then we're going to reflect on that. And that was embedded in their, in their evaluation process. And, you know, I remember, you know, I, I developed a close relationship with our, with our teachers association president. Um, and, you know, she would often, you know, say interesting things to me, like, Daniel, you know, if there really is a teacher who's unfit for the classroom, you don't need this evaluation framework to do something about that. You need to get in their classroom, you know, and, 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 and there needs to be discipline. You know, this was coming from a teacher's association president. You know, if somebody is not meeting their professional obligations, like, you need to, you need to address that. In fact, she was almost asking the, the, the school leaders in the district, please do something about this. You know, do something about the, that, that, that small percentage of teachers who, whose practice really doesn't meet the expectations of the profession. But don't make the entire system pay the price, uh, you know, where every single teacher's evaluation experience is really kind of this narrow, um, you know, this narrow conceptualization of, of evaluation. You know, our, our teachers, they want feedback. They want to improve. They want to know where they, they have the opportunity for growth. And so I think that that's, that's something that's, you know, endemic to schools where, where uh, you know, we have teachers who are working in their, their, their classrooms and, and often they're just, they're an island. You know, they, they're not, they don't have access to feedback from their colleagues. They don't have access in any meaningful way to feedback from a school leader. And, and so how do we create a profession where those conversations are vibrant, where they're daily, where they're weekly? Um, you know, I remember uh, Lee Shulman, who was the president of the Carnegie Foundation, was talking about some of the practices that come from other professions. And he was talking about nurses. And he was commenting how, you know, nurses are constantly talking to each other. Sometimes they have to go into each other's, uh, into the, into the um, 
into the rooms of different patients and they're constantly kind of briefing the next nurse. Okay, this is what I did. This is, this is what this person is using, those different types of things. And it's a very active and ongoing conversation. And in some ways, one nurse can, can substitutes for another nurse and they bring a similar set of practices. How do we move a little bit closer to that as, as schools where we're openly talking about, yes, this is what I've been doing and this is what I've been trying. Well, have you been doing trying that? What does that look like? There's such high stakes around our performance in classrooms um, that we're afraid. We're afraid to have people in the classroom. We're afraid about our, 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 our professional standing with our colleagues and with school leaders. And so that entire you know, overview of, of observational practices is really to help school leaders be clear about when you're using different types of observational protocols. There are moments where you're there for, for very specific evaluatory uh, reasons. But most of the time, it's, it's, it's a formative experience where, you know, you're there to, to observe and to give meaningful and useful feedback to, to teachers who are, who are trying to improve their practice with students in the classroom. And to be able to help teachers to develop and um, remind them sometimes of the, the, the huge benefits from it and the, the positive feeling and, and, how, and, and how you can get better when you work together as a community rather as, than a single person and the benefits behind that. I think unless we provide those opportunities to help to support staff and, and colleagues to improve as part of a team it's then really hard just to come in and say you're not quite doing the job well enough here you know to go straight to the evaluative without that other structure there is is a is a would be a real shame because they haven't been given the same opportunities to improve under the same structures as as others and i think if i if i if i go back to what what you were talking earlier and saying that, you know, the the importance of it being deliberate and structured. So I remember talking to um, a middle leader not so long ago about um, there were a few of them together talking about how they help to sort of share best practice and get that sense of team and move the team forwards together with things they're looking at collectively and you've got one of the middle leaders is saying oh yeah we we go and look in look at each other's lessons and another one says how do you do that and they said oh we scheduled it into a timetable and people feedback and we know what's happening and 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 everybody knows what's going on and the other one says well i've, I've emailed my staff to let them know to do that and there's the huge difference between the one team that are in that place where they feel safe enough and it's it's happening where they are going in they're seeing each other's lessons they're feeding back to one another in a really low stakes and developmental way to another where they're hoping just by letting their staff know to do that without the why behind it and the the, the scheduling of the time so they know what's going on when it's happening and how it fits into the bigger piece they, they're two very different experiences and, and and it's it's just helping everybody to be able to move towards the one that you know we know can be more impactful isn't it absolutely no you may you, you know there's a lot's been written recently about the role of the school leader in, in what we call brokering relationships. And when you just leave, when you leave everything to, to chance and spontaneity, then you're going to have gaps. You're going to, you're going to have 
teachers who are, are, are not connected in the, into the professional community and whatnot. One of the primary roles that a school leader can play is creating those deliberately structured spaces where it is, where it is communicated clearly that, uh, that this is a space and a relationship for, for sharing. And we're going to give the time and we're going to allow that to happen. I would say that, you know, in schools, uh, I remember a professor once saying, you know, no school was, no school has ever been transformed except by a team of really engaged teachers. That, that when, when, when a group of teachers really kind of takes that ownership to say, we are collectively responsible for what happens in, in these classrooms. We are collectively responsible and they support each other in that. Um, it can really be amazing. Um, and that's why sometimes you can, you can be in a school where maybe the school is struggling collectively, but everybody knows the English department, the, the English department in the school is, is off the charts. They're doing, a, they're doing an amazing, they're doing amazing work. You know, it's because the, the teachers have kind of come to this collective agreement with each other. We're going to have some shared expectations. We're going to work towards that. And what, what a role of a, of a school leader can do is to try to create the conditions where that those type of shared expectations are, are not just um, uh, possible, but predictable. Uh, and that's where those structures come into place. Um, and now structure's not all of it because you can have the structures in place and you can have you know really awful professional development and really awful observational experiences and teachers and, and whatnot. There, there, there has to be a culture uh, around that as well. But I think as the school leader, you're constantly looking for opportunities to, to broker those relationships and to give teachers the space to do that. Uh, you know, part of my, as a, as a doctoral student, my, my own uh, dissertation was focused on brokering relationships between new urban school teachers uh, and more experienced colleagues. And part of that was as simple as, you know, offering a catered lunch uh, bringing those people into the space and structuring the conversation around a problem of practice introduced by uh, one of these novice uh, school teachers. And it created a space where it was, it was just expected and it was normal for the teacher to say, this is what I've been trying, I need that help. And then to watch the room come alive as teachers with 5, 10, 15, 20 years of teaching experience began to speak into that particular teacher's problem of practice. Um, and to share kind of like a consultancy protocol where it's like, okay, these are all the different ideas. These are the things that you can try. These are the things that are out there. These are the experiences that we've had with our kids. And to watch just kind of the lights go on in, in, that, in that novice teacher's uh, eyes around, around those things. And so I, there's a lot that you can do to create spaces and to, and to broker relationships where that type of feedback feels safe, um, feels appreciated and celebrated. Amazing. Um, I know we're getting towards the time we're going to be takeaway. So I was uh, furiously writing my little takeaways for, for the session. There's, there's so much to take away here. And I'm trying to, to sort of narrow it down as to that one thing, because it, we, we need to be precise um, about what we're, we're thinking about. And, and I'm just going to suggest my takeaway at this stage, if that's OK uh, with you both, because um, there, there are there are many things we can take away. Uh, we've got a session coming up soon with, um, with Jim Thompson on video coaching. Um, and I think it would really link well if I was to have my takeaways, uh, looking at how um, I can fill my lessons more 
um, and and be vulnerable uh, with people um, to to sort of help to create that environment uh, where where we look at each other's lessons and we we think um, think about um, what. What can make those lessons better? What those action steps might be? Um, but but to think about the the structure behind that, because the structure, as you said, um, is, is um, I'm going to paraphrase here, but provides that scaffold to create the conditions to then build those relationships. So not just to go in and go right, I film this lesson. What do you think? But to put some real structure behind how we go about uh, critiquing that lesson and and coming to um, an action step um, around that. So so I'm going to be thinking about the structures behind. How I go about filming lessons and go through um, a coaching process um, in that way. Um, that's the that's the thing that I want to take away and think more about uh, myself. Um, but yeah, it's, this has been wonderful, Daniel. Thank you so much for this. No, fantastic, and it's it's great to hear you kind of reflect back on on the you know the the so what of the conversation. You know, what is this going to mean for my practice? And I think one of the one of the so what's for me around the instructional leadership cycle is 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 building the discipline as a school community to always look for clarity about what is it that we're working on right now as a community and why and and focusing resources and these cycles of inquiry around those those very concrete issues and aspects of our instructional practice that that, that we want to improve and so i would say to to your takeaway it, it is about creating that culture of of you know peer observations and feedback but then also get clarity around like what are they coming to see you know what is it that what is it that they're interested in and you're interested in improving and having conversations around that the the videos you know that's a that's a tool to help you get there but like what is it that you're so passionate about improving in your practice and what is it that your school community is so passionate about trying to get at and how how do you engage the school leadership team and kind of bringing resources and time and and focus to those things so that you can really transform that that particular part of your practice and over time what happens as you engage in that is that your school community develops a shared technical practice where it's like this is what we do at the school this is how we approach teaching and learning at this school and we do it really well and we're proud of it as a community of teachers and then the teachers themselves are the ones who are holding those high expectations where it's like hey this is how we do it here um, and when you get when you when that flywheel starts to go, really amazing things can happen in the classroom. That's brilliant because I, I, what I've written down here was um, when I tried to summarize, I wrote: fill more lessons, be specific. What are we looking at? What does the feedback look like? So, so that really does feel like it fits exactly what you're saying. There. I'm really, really um, excited to get started and, and to, to well to build on because we do film lessons uh, and uh, but but to really build on what we do and, and to, to explore that further. Daniel, thank you. No, wonderful. Thank you so much. And thank you for the for the invitation to share. And uh, as I said, you know, part of my passion is is doing the work, but also reflecting and talking about the work that we do. And and, uh, you know, I'm pretty unapologetic about how I, I think, you know, teaching and working in a school is the is the greatest work. And it's it's, it's a true vocation. And and I really feel like it's a privilege to to be engaged in that work on a daily basis. Thank you. Hugely grateful to you um, to be able to connect to, to for, 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 for what you've shared in your writings um, and, and in your session and everything else that you've done today. And just that sort of different experience that you're pulling up, drawing upon as well. You know, I've only ever lived and worked in the UK. So it's it's really helpful to talk to others from elsewhere as well. And there are things that resonate and there are things that make you think about something in a, in a new way. As, as well and just to 
to refocus on something. And I suppose what what I'm left with today is still that is 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 that sense of um, I was talking to my husband the other day and talk about things and why do people work where they work how do you get the most out of somebody what is it what is what is it that that why do we why are we still here why do I work for the Green Tool Learning Trust you know what is it why have I been here for six years and I'm, I'm so passionate about it and it's because it's that sense of I mean the, the phrase that was used was people work for people where you've got those well-brokered relationships where there is that collective responsibility and we work for people we work with people and that's where you know that where you know that you've where you fit and your values align and you've got that sense of purpose because what you're doing together is being done together for for the right reasons because you understand the why and when you don't have that then it can feel disconnected and disjointed and it's 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 a more difficult position to be in so um but obviously you've articulated that in a much <laughs> much more thorough better evidence-informed way but it just it took me back to that conversation um and it just helped to to reinforce what that might mean and look like and how we could help provide um structured and considered ways to make that happen rather than hoping it will happen by just the sense of who we are because people work for people could mean that it's it, that can be interpreted in a very different way isn't it but we have to be conscious of it we have to be planned we have to it has to be considered and and thought for and of to make sure that it happens so that's what what you've done is give some ideas and tools structure and a framework to be able to make that more successful so thank you so much for everything you've done and, and your time today and we're privileged to have been able to have spent this with you and to have connected with you as well absolutely well it's been my absolute pleasure and, and you've kind of brought us back to where we started right which is that that clarity of, of of why we're doing the work that we that we do and i think that sometimes in education we take that for granted because uh, you know, in any industry, working with great people, working for great people can really energize your, your, your life and your professional trajectory and whatnot. Uh, but in education, the work itself is so inherently valuable. And so sometimes we take that for granted. And, uh, and I think that what many educators are waking up to over the past five years has been, I also want to be in a place where I'm part of a team and I feel a real connection to the other people who are here and that we're doing work collectively. And of course, I love the job that I do individually in my classroom with my students, but I want more than that. I need more than that to sustain me. And I think the instructional leadership cycle at, a, at its core is about how do we as a community on a, at a school really elevate our shared, uh, our shared hopes, our shared desires and, 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 and the why of the work that we do and, and move together with that as a, as a group and as a team. And uh, and that's a real privilege to to be able to do that work on a on a day to day basis. Yeah, thank you. See, I knew you'd be able. I knew you'd articulate it so much better than I did. <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant. So hugely grateful. Um, thank you once again, Dave. I'll let you say your thank you, and then I'll end the session. Oh yeah, it's just a huge thank you for me as well, Daniel. I know it's something that, that people say often about how the time's spent. I can't believe an hour's gone, but I just let then as I did the takeaway, I thought I'll just say mine early because I've got something I want to say, and I can't believe we're actually already come to the end of the session. Uh, it has been really, really insightful. It's been uh, it's been such a, 
a pleasure. It's been so enjoyable, but it's been really informative as well. And it's it's really put uh, put me on a specific path of what I want to do. And and that's what what we want to get from these sessions is something specific to be able to take away and and work on tomorrow. And, and I, I really feel that I've got that. And and uh, and not only that, I've got so many more things to think about too. Um, so just thanks for giving up your time because. Um, because it's um, it is precious time. Uh, we are very busy people, and to give us an hour just to talk to us like you have today, we are incredibly grateful. Um, so, so thank you so much. No, my pleasure. An absolute privilege. Thank you again for the invitation.